Let me review briefly uh, where we have been. Um, the You remember we started out some weeks ago looking at the foundation of our whole uh, subject. That is the idea of wholesome words, the, the believer's calling to godly speech. And the foundation and framework was to try and have us understand it, the rich significance of this calling, that it isn't something secondary or uh, happenstance, or, uh, but that it's right at the very heart of um, the gospel in many ways. Um, and thus, we, the foundation and framework for that calling had to be found in creation and in the doctrine of um, the, the f- creation and the image of God. And we um, profited from a wonderful article by Dr. Uh, Richard Gaffin unfolding something of that, and especially his argument that th- there's a sense in which uh, our language capacity, uh, especially... Um, reflects the image of God. And yet at the same time, our language capacity especially reflects uh, the destruction of the fall in the way we actually use that great gift of language. Um, The destructive uh, impact of our speech and ability to communicate. And uh, then I wanted to add that I it seemed to me that all of that led to the conclusion that, in fact, uh, our sinful use of language is preeminently blasphemy. Uh, it, it isn't simply a uh, failure to uh, maintain obedience to one aspect of the, our moral obligation, but it is fundamentally blasphemy. And then finally, uh, then we saw that one who by God's grace has come to the truth that is in Jesus, um, that one is renewed in the spirit of the mind to put on the new self created in the likeness of God, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. And that such a person is called then to let no corrupting talk come out of their mouth, but only such as is good for building up that fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. So that's the foundation and the framework for our whole understanding of Christian speech or what we're calling wholesome words. We then uh, took up a consideration of uh, the wisdom of Proverbs uh, concerning the wise use of words. And in general, we argued that uh, the wise men of Israel called God's people to be masters of the word, deploying the gift of speech, the right word at the right time. Um, And in the the words of the great uh, scholar of Proverbs in our time, Bruce Waltke, uh, called to godly eloquence. Um, And uh, under this segment of our study, we've been looking then at the words of the wise, what Proverbs teaches about um, the uh, use of language. And we looked at how to do things with words, that is the power of words, and then we looked at the uh, particular category of powerful words, uh, uh, words of advice, including rebuke, uh, and what Proverbs says about hearing and speaking such words. With all that, then, we take up tonight um, a further consideration of the words of the wise, and that is uh, the characteristics of wholesome words. So let me pray for us. Our great God, uh, we do give you thanks for the words of wisdom preserved for us in the book of Proverbs. And we pray that we would have hearts inclined to wisdom and that hearing we might truly hear. And so learn to live to the praise and glory of our Savior 
And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, we begin then with um, a text from Proverbs 24.6. There, a simple uh, uh, statement. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Here we have a very general saying about truth speaking and the benefits of truth speaking. Um, the words translated honest answer in our text uh, come from what is in fact a geometric term, um, a term for straight ahead or unbroken path. Um, And it's used here metaphorically for um, truthful speech. We use a similar metaphor. We might say that uh, uh, the Proverbs is talking about a straight shooter. Um, uh, And when we use that, we mean a person who just tells it like it is. uh, So that we could uh, have our uh, New English translation be, uh, whoever's a straight shooter kisses the lips. But of course, that would be utterly disconcerting because we don't think of straight shooters as kissing people's lips. Um, the uh, kissing the lips is a Hebrews, Hebrew phrase found only here in the New Testament, uh, Old Testament. And uh, for us, this description might sound a bit odd uh, because for us... Uh, uh, for our culture, kissing is l- largely associated with sexual activity. Uh, I remember well how uh, uh, weird it seemed to me when I was younger and learned that uh, one of the New Testament epistles urged Christians to greet each other with a holy kiss. Uh, because it seemed to me that kisses and holiness were really not very closely tied together in my sense of those words. Um, But uh, uh, yet, uh, even in our culture somewhat, and certainly around the world, uh, the kiss can signify a whole variety of relationships. Uh, So it was in the Old Testament world. Uh, Though a sexually oriented kiss was known in Israel, you can see that in Proverbs uh, 7.13 or in the Song of Songs, the primary use of the kiss in that culture was either as an act of homage, acknowledging fealty or honor in some way, or as an act of familial affection. And you you see that throughout uh, the kiss, reflecting uh, kinship, uh, public display of kinship. Either sense of that term fits our verse pretty well here. Uh, An honor stancer, a straight shooter, um, is a person who is treating another with respect, is a person who's treating another with uh, affection, or both could be in view. Wholesome words, then, are honest words. And honest words show a concern of kinship Uh, show a concern for care for uh, honoring another. In other words, honest words are a blessing. They create and maintain wholesome relations with appreciative hearers. Uh, Matthew Henry put it this way, everyone who finds the benefit of the right answer, uh, excuse me, everyone who finds the benefit of the right answer will be attached to him who gave it. It builds a a bond of of relationship. And you recall Lady Wisdom's description of her own words in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked. There you see the opposite of our straight shooter's words. Uh, false words are twisted or crooked. 
They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. And so here we have before us an instance of uh, the character of wholesome words. And the Proverbs go on at some length to try and give us um, a characterization of the essential uh, uh, elements of wholesome words. And as we look at the book of a whole, we can see that, uh, in fact, there are four main characteristics according to the sages of Israel. Wholesome words are honest. That's what we uh, saw in our first text. They're apt, well-suited. They are few. Uh, This may surprise us as a virtue. And they are profitable. Honest, apt, few, and profitable. And this evening, I want us to spend some time reflecting on these characteristics so we would have a good understanding of them and see why they're to be valued and to be emulated. So, uh, the first, wholesome words are honest words. And this is the most important uh, lesson the sages have to treat us. They're honest words. Uh, That is, um, the choice of words communicates what we think is the real state of affairs, what are the facts at hand. They are words chosen well for just that purpose, to communicate the truth. Um, And this duty to speak honestly is rooted in our very nature as those who are created in the image of God. God has created the mind such that it's oriented toward the truth. We have a natural appetite for the truth. The mind is satisfied, finally, only resting in the truth. Wanting honest words ourselves, therefore, the law of love that governs all of our behavior obliges that we do unto others. And just as surely as we want to be spoken to truthfully, we have then the the calling to speak truthfully one to another. And of course, this reflects our creator. God is the truth. He speaks the truth. He has made us to know the truth. And in all of these things, we are called to imitate him as speakers created in his image. Um, in Proverbs, this matter is put most forth, forcefully by speaking of that which God hates. So in Proverbs 6.16, we read this. There are six things that Yahweh hates and seven that are an abomination to him. And the list goes on. And in verse 17, we understand that one of those six is a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. It is an abomination to him that someone should use the gift of speech and address another person who has the gift of a mind and to have anything but truth be at the heart of their discourse. He hates it. Um, the, um, uh, and, and so here we see that telling the truth is natural to us. It, in fact, takes effort to turn away from the truth. It is unnatural to us. It requires a a perverse sensibility, and that's precisely what has come to be ours as fallen. We distort. We make things crooked. It takes no effort to walk in a straight line. It takes a lot more effort to walk in a zigzagged line. When we leave the path of truth, uh, we exert effort to wrong. Um, Mark Twain wonderfully uh, captures something of this point when he observed, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. (laughs) That is 
line puts a huge burden on you to remember all of the things that you've said are untrue. Uh, if you've told the truth, you'll just have a natural affinity toward re- remembering what was in fact the case. We make matters crooked because we're under the pressure of temptation, self-interest, fear. Um, But when the sages of Israel want to get at this point, they focus on the most important kind of true speech. Uh, That is speech that's given by a witness in a court of law. Here are the true words. Here is the honest speaking that is absolutely essential to human good in this world. Uh, And thus, they condemn false witness roundly in the the most um, violent terms. Um, And thus, this condemnation finds its place in the Ten Commandments. Uh, Thou shalt not bear false false witness, the ninth commandment. And as we see here, uh, this commandment is specifically given with respect to testimony uh, in law courts. But of course, it stands for all truth speaking. As is typically the case with the Ten Commandments, the uh, particular behavior that's fixed upon in the commandment is paradigmatic, or it sets forth the essential character of the behavior that then finds itself reflected in many, many other parts of human behavior. Um, So, the, the chief or most important instance of truth speaking is found in truth speaking before uh, a law court. It's the symbol of all proper truth-telling. So if we go back to uh, the passage we mentioned er earlier in Proverbs 6.16, the six things that Yahweh hates, the seven that are an abomination to him, the first thing that comes up is a false witness who breathes out lies. Uh, The text later talks about liars generally, but here in particular is uh, God's antagonism aroused. Uh, And that's because such speech is absolutely essential to justice in the world that God has created. God has created uh, a system of government, and within that system of government there are courts to uh, punish evildoers and to reward those who do well. And yet courts must be able to determine what the facts are with respect to any allegations. And a false witness utterly incapacitates the court for finding justice. So Proverbs twelve seventeen, Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. And the one who would do this, the one who would be a false witness in a a court, is scornfully contemptuous of justice, and thus he mocks God. Proverbs 19, 28. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. What a striking image. Here, by his mouth, he eats up uh, all goodness in a society. Um, uh, He incapacitates the very order that God intends uh, for our good in the world. Life and death are in the balance here. Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives. Someone who perhaps has been unjustly uh, charged, uh, the one who can bring truth to bear on that matter uh, persuasively, uh, makes sure that uh, the courts themselves are not used for injustice. 
Proverbs 25, 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. That one is a a, a person who brings enormous harm, not just to himself, not just to one other person, but in fact does enormous harm to the whole community. And because this is an abomination before God, judgment is sure to come. Um, and, and the Proverbs are full of testimony to this effect. Proverbs 12 at verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. It's going to pass away. Uh, it reminds us of that uh, fearful text in uh, Deuteronomy. The wicked thinks he stands, but in due time his foot will slide. Proverbs 19.5 A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. (laughs) This proverb reminds me of what my mother used to say to me when I was young. Her phrase when she was uh, cross-examining me about whether I was telling the truth, uh, she said, you know, uh, Davy, truth will out. There was a sense of necessity. It's folly to lie because at the end of the day, truth is going to prevail. Um, And when truth prevails, it's going to go hard for the one who is a false witness? Proverbs 19.9 A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. Again, Proverbs 21.28 A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears will endure. Now that's an interesting uh, phrasing there. Um, False witness will perish, but the word of the man who hears will endure. What? How is hears functioning there? And I think it's capturing what we've said in one term earlier concerning uh, our characters created in the image of God. That is, one who perceives and faithfully receives, uh, faithfully relays what is perceived. One who hears will endure. That is, one who uses his capacity to perceive the world and then transmit that faithfully and truly, that person is going to endure, not the one who bears false witness. And, in in fact, because of this, honest words are crucial um, to human flourishing. I, I mean, think of it for a moment. The largest part of what we know is communicated to us from others. If we were to limit our minds and the useful knowledge we had in this world to what we had either by our own rational reflection or our own experience of the world, if that would be the limit, we would surely perish from the earth because it's hardly anything and certainly not to the extent that we would need to know it to survive in the world. Um, The um, largest part of what is essential to know to survive in the world we have learned from somebody else. And lying is an assault on the value of that communicated knowledge. It's a threat to it. If we don't have a good measure of confidence that those who have spoken to us are speaking truly, it undermines the value of such knowledge altogether. Whether in a culture there is a threat concerning the reliability, excuse me, whenever in a culture there is a threat concerning the reliability of communicated knowledge, that culture necessarily diminishes in its ability to function properly. 
Now, uh, uh, that's not the point that I want to make tonight, but I will say that, that we could go on at some length concerning applications of this truth to the culture that we live in right now. And the threat that people from many different perspectives uh, seeking to undermine communicated knowledge for the sake of temporal advantage, not realizing that they're finally undermining the culture altogether and the possibility of justice in that culture. It, 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 is, it is a fool's game at, at the very best. But that's not our subject tonight. Um, the, uh, but we need to understand that this is part of why the wise men insist upon that wholesome words are always words uh, that seek to convey the truth. Um, the, I just note further that, of course, fa false communication undermines all callings in this world that are for our good. It undermines medicine. It undermines agriculture. It under, undermines trade. It undermines government. It undermines the household. It undermines absolutely everything. Because everything depends upon us receiving by faith, uh, in good faith, uh, the communications of others who are uh, telling us things we need to know and apart from which we'll perish. Um, the, uh, the lie undermines confidence in others and thus undermines society. Uh, Proverbs 10.6 Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. See, that's what the proverb's getting at. Uh, violence is at the end of truth, uh, the, the, the undermining of truth. Um, Proverbs 10.18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Though it may appear that you can get ahead, uh, by not speaking honestly, it is finally unprofitable. Proverbs sixteen twenty one, or excuse me, Proverbs twenty one six. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor, and a snare of death. No good is to come of it, and it is the fool who supposes that some good can come. It is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Now, let me um, raise some important qualifications at this point. And um, we don't have time to go into all of this. And it does require some pretty careful statement and thinking. But nevertheless, we have to address it. Uh, uh, in order to get this matter right. So we've been talking about the profound importance of uh, uh, true speech. Um, however, we want to say that, uh, that the requirement that I speak truly does not imply that I am bound to say all that I know in every given instance. Rather, to speak truly and to speak well means to have discretion concerning when and where I say the things that I know. And in uh, a little bit, we'll discuss more reticence and uh, it will reinforce this point, the biblical calling of reticence. Um, but the point is, if you do speak, you must speak the truth. The second thing is, however, um, we, ha we have to ask, is it ever proper deliberately to deceive? And uh, there have been huge controversies and uh, even solid reform folk differ considerably on the matter. But I'll just say that for my part, after um, 
a good bit of careful uh, study and reflection, I think that the Bible's answer is yes. Uh, that there are cir some circumstances where it is your duty deliberately to deceive. Um, and uh, it's rooted in this, that my hearer may have by his behavior broken the relations that require truth in communication. My hearer may have by his behavior broken the relations that require truth and communication. Now, to some degree, um, uh, I, I think this is a matter of common sense, at least in relatively trivial errors, uh, areas. Uh, so, for example, I, I used to play football uh, for many years, uh, uh, in in the olden days when I played, although we had gotten past leather helmets, um, the uh, uh, I I used to play both ways. Uh, I was a linebacker on defense and a halfback on offense, and in my role as a running back, I was often uh, required to run a fake. That is to say, I would stand behind the quarterback and the ball would be hiked. He would stand up and lean toward me as I went tearing past him into the line. He'd put the ball between my hands and uh, then he'd pull it out again surreptitiously and turn around his back toward the line of scrimmage and go dancing off to th throw a pass. Un uh, uh, accosted by the defense. And um, my obligation at that point was to do that as well as I possibly could so that as many of the defenders were deceived as possible. And it was a bald-faced deception. Uh, and yet, you know, no one ever screamed at me from the stands, not on my side, not on his side, Liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, the context, uh, the framework of the game made it understood that part of the game include, included such uh, uh, ruse, such uh, uh, deceptions, and everybody agreed that that was part of the game. Now, if I'd have done the same thing, if I'd have as soon as I got off the field, slipped past somebody and the uh, quarterback had uh, pulled a wallet out of the person's pocket, slipped it into my hands, and then they went chasing after me thinking I had the wallet while he, we'd have been arrested. Uh, the very same behavior. So the, the point is that we all know that um, uh, it, it, there are contexts in which uh, truth-telling is not expected in the course of what the communications are. I'm sure many of you, if you go away on a trip, leave a light on uh, in a room where it can be seen from the window outside at night. Uh, you're seeking to deceive potential thieves that there's someone home there. And again, uh, you don't feel guilty about it, then they it would never occur to them to think of you as being a liar. Um, the, and the fact is, actually, it does them some good because them being deceived keep the scent from committing the theft of the the. the, the crime of theft, which, uh, unrepentant, they would perish for having committed it. So the point is, first of all here, when we think about these things, uh, context is absolutely crucial. The, um, the second, however, we know of at least two cases where God actually instructed his servants to deceive 
his enemies. Excuse me, Joshua chapter 8 at verse 2 and following. And 2 Kings 6 at verse 14 and following. Uh, now we can't go into those in, in detail. But I note this much. This is not just godly people who are found uh, deceiving. Uh, that would mean nothing to us so far as the argument is concerned because godly people are found doing all kinds of sinful things in the narratives of the Old Testament. But rather here we have God instructing godly people to deceive. And that's a different matter altogether. In fact, we know that God often uh, appoints sin uh, for uh, someone who is a sinner. In 2 Thessalonians 2, at verse 11 and following, uh, we hear Paul say that God sends upon certain sinners a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And it is a pretty well-formed uh, Old, Te- Old and New Testament principle that um, if you love sin, you're going to get more of what you want. Uh, and um, the, uh, But the, I guess the crucial point for us here is this. Um, we know with respect to one part of the moral law, thou shalt not kill, Uh, what is prohibited there is the unwarranted taking of life. But we also know, according to the Bible, that there are some takings of life that are warranted. If it's a matter of self-defense of the innocent, if it's a matter of the uh, defense of uh, the nation from um, a... uh, wicked attack um, the uh, in that case the taking of life is permitted and uh, I, I think then the argument is clear uh, there surely is a hierarchy even within the law uh, to tell a lie is uh, certainly criminal to unwarrantedly take a life is far worse And the point is, if you can take a life when it's warranted, then surely you can use deception when it's warranted in a fallen world. Um, Robert Dabney put it this way, and he gave, I think, very uh, careful study to these questions. He said, As it is righteous of God to ordain some killings, which are not murder." because they are his just judicial sentence upon capital guilt. So it is just in God to authorize some deceptions, which are not sinful lying, as just judicial penalties upon capital guilt. So there are cases where the hearer, by his behavior, may have broken the relations that require truth-telling. This certainly applies to the uh, use of police powers in certain circumstances uh, uh, with respect to warfare uh, in certain circumstances and with respect uh, to self-defense in the household and so on in certain circumstances. So let me pause there. the um, and uh, give you a chance to response. Uh, I had four things to talk about here, and you'll see I've taken almost uh, uh, well over a third of our time on the first one, so I'm going to have to pick up the pace on the last, but I, I do want to give you a chance to uh, uh, ask a question or make a comment if you'd like. Yes, Ollie? Uh, Dave, you... you, you... You said uh, honest words, uh, honest speech about things that you know. Um, what about my honest opinions about something? <laughs> my honest opinions about what I really think about you. 
Uh, you, you you mentioned reticence. You would you would talk about reticence later on, and may, maybe it falls into that category. But what if I honestly want to tell you or anyone what I feel about? Yeah. So that, that those aren't facts. Those are opinions. That that's right. That's right. They are facts in one sense. They're facts about your inner life. And if you are uh, required to give some testimony concerning your inner life, then you are required to speak truthfully so far as it goes. But remember, um, especially in our own system, um, your inner life... uh, uh, other persons don't have any peremptory right into your inner life. Uh, that is yours to reveal as you will. And you can see this even to the point of um, uh, the... Uh, you can't uh, be compelled to testify against yourself in court and so on. And... Uh, it, you see that in uh, Protestantism, at least. It's uh, repudiation of the Inquisition. A church court can't call you in every week and say, all right, tell me all your sins in the last week. Uh, the only reason your inner life can be accosted is if there is some outward criminality that's evident uh, that you can be called to account. Um, so, um, the I, I guess the point I'm saying is if you're going to speak at all to your inner life and opinions, you've got to speak truly if the circumstance requires it. You, you may not be required, I mean, you might say, I'll, I'll say nothing about that. Um, no, but what if it is not uh, compelled by somebody else to speak, for, for me to, to speak about somebody? Um, but what if I, you know, in, in an emotional state, so no, maybe not in an emotional state, but I've, I've had it up to here with, with somebody, <laughs> and, I, and I just want to give you an honest, you know, piece of my mind. I know it's not going to be helpful, right? That's, that, that's clearly not what you mean with honest speech, but where does that go wrong? Where that goes wrong is not in the truthfulness of it, but rather, and what will come to more elaborately later, and even tonight, is that um, you have an obligation to do good with respect to your speech. And uh, the so there has to be some good intention that you have by it. It's not simply that it's true some reasonable hope that some good will be accomplished by that speech. Does that make sense? That is helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So, uh, so Dave, with that in mind, as far as the the intent to do good and with Allah's uh, comment also about, you know, sharing what's really on your mind, if someone were to, um, maybe ask an opinion, hey, does this, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> uh, you know, to be kind, you know, you might say contrary to what you really believe. Um, or if, if a child uh, asks, hey, do you really like this drawing of you? You know, um, and it does, doesn't bear any likeness to you at all. Um, and to say that, you know, it's the most, um, I don't know, the most beautiful picture that, that, that I've ever seen. Again, these are, are um, untruths, but they're said with a spirit of kindness. How do you... Yeah, uh, the, the latter is easier. Um, the point is there, contextual. Uh, I don't think you'd ever have a right to say it's the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. But you would have a right to say, that's wonderful, and I'm so grateful for it. And I, I hope you'll keep trying to learn to draw. And I mean, there are all kinds of grand things you could say there that contextually would be perfectly true with respect to the childlike nature of the uh, pre- presentation. Um, 
and that gets more to the first point I was making about context. Now, the um, the uh, um, the uh, if but in both of them finally are a, a matter of context. If it's some uh, something in passing uh, that you're uh, as a matter of politeness being asked to remark on that's one thing if uh, someone was getting ready to go to a public concert uh, where they were going to be performing and their outward appearance was crucial to that business and you were being asked to give a serious opinion about the appearance, then I think you would have to find a way kindly and for their good to speak what uh, was on your mind about the matter Um, and to try and do it in a way that uh, would be creative and sympathetic and yet communicate what would ultimately be helpful to that person in which at their heart of hearts they would certainly want uh, even if they found difficulty with it in the moment. Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will or Kate, whoever's? Hi, Dave. You said um, the hearer by his behavior has broken his what? I'm sorry. His neck. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um it may have broken the relations that require truth-telling. So, like a spy in wartime, you don't tell the truth because you're trying to defeat the enemy? Yeah, that, and, and uh, I, I can't get into all kinds of uh, uh, cases, but uh, obviously, um, I, I, I can say this easily enough, uh, the Allies created a whole pseudo military base in Scotland uh, uh, in order to deceive the Germans uh, that the invasion uh, of the European mainland was coming in the in the north and um, thousands and thousands of dollars and ultimately they took a corpse and and made it into a person and gave it a full backstory and um, dropped that out of a submarine in the Mediterranean in a place where they knew there were German spies combing beaches for uh, debris off of British ships in the Mediterranean and uh, with all kinds of documents to say that the invasion was coming in a a different place. in fact, uh, there's an incredible film made of it. It's called The Man Who Knew Too Much. But, or no, 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 The the Man That Never Was. But yeah, that would be a, uh, a combination of the two elements uh, where the combatants in war understand the nature of the case, that uh, nobody has the obligation... Uh, to say, hey, I'm getting ready to invade right here, set up your batteries against me. Um, And uh, the fact that in a state of war, what is otherwise expected, but the the further point is, as soon as the person holds up the white flag, uh, you have the absolute uh, obligation to be restored to the normal. So if you tell them something at that point, it, it must be the truth. That is to say, we won't shoot you or something. You've got to tell them the truth there. Does that make sense, Kate? Yeah, thanks, Steve. Yeah. Chambers. I think this is, I think you've answered this, but I, I'm kind of, I, I think that your outline answers it in that with honesty, and this kind of tags on to what Tony and um, Ali were saying, that saying something honestly doesn't mean you say whatever you're thinking yes. without looking at what the purpose of it is. Like uh, someone who says, well, I'm always very honest. 
and they just blurt out whatever they think. That that doesn't have the good purpose that the honesty that, is supposed to have. That's right. In other okay. words, that would count as honesty, but not as wholesome words. Because wholesome words is the broader category. And wholesome words have multiple characteristics. One of them is speaking the truth, but that's not the only thing. So it has to be apt. We're going to want to argue uh, and, and so on. Okay, thanks, Dave. All right. Anyone else? Well, it's quite clear that this is going to be a two-part <laughs> consideration, given that it's 821, and uh, I've finished probably the first quarter. No, it's a little more than the first quarter. But the, this is a... Proverbs clearly spends the most time on the question of truth-telling. Um, and I think it, we've certainly fairly kept that sense of proportionality, and we'll just have to uh, extend our time a little bit um, and take up the rest next week. Um, the um, but let me do this. I think I can um, uh, touch on in the time left the second. That is that wholesome words um, are to be apt. Uh, That is to say, appropriate, fitting, uh, suitable to the circumstances. And the, the sages make that plain in a host of ways. First of all, um, what we've been saying is that they have to have a purpose. Uh, they're not flailing words. Uh, you see this in Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You see that? that they're not thoughtful. They're rash. And, and because of that, it's, it's as if they're flailing around with a, a sword um, and doing enormous harm. Um, the, uh, and and you, you can see this if you're a fan of slapstick comedy at all, for example. One of the uh, great scenes um, in many a, such a film uh, a goofy fellow comes and uh, he wants to be an effective worker, but he's carrying a shovel over his shoulder. And uh, the, uh, someone talks to him and he turns quickly to reply and he bangs somebody in the head with the sh- shovel. And then he turns to someone else and he bangs somebody else in the head with the shovel. He's, uh, on the one hand, seemingly trying to do something useful but uh, in the meantime he's doing harm because he isn't purposeful in the whole activity in the activity as a whole Um, and uh, the one who has rash words doesn't have a proper intention that the words have been adapted to achieve Uh, so that's one element here of apt uh, second, it requires that you know who that you are speaking to. Proverbs 23, 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. In other words, uh, uh, words must be adapted to the level of understanding breadth of experience, and the capacities of the one that you're speaking to in a host of ways for them to be wholesome words. Um, And the... uh, uh, I'll never forget, I hope you don't mind me, and I don't know whether Bill's there or not, but um, uh, at... um, Uh, 9-11 Anna was at Grove City uh, College and I knew Bill was at the Pentagon and I knew that a plane had gone into the Pentagon 
and I didn't know whether communications could get through and so on. And I went to call Anna with, just without thinking to say I, I want to, and it started to ring and I hung up. And I thought, what, what on earth am I going to say? How about, is Bill dead? <laughs> well, that would have been what I wanted to know. But that would have not been adapted in the least to the circumstances that Anna was in. And I need to sit down and think hard and long how to uh, communicate and be helpful given that, that set of circumstances. And that's what wholesome words are to be about. We're to be thoughtful in that way. This isn't meant to be paralyzing, but it is meant to, to insist that we need to be uh, uh, very uh, kind. We need to be very thoughtful in the way we use our words because we know how powerful words are. Um, the uh, the <laughs> I, I, I didn't feel like I was very successful, so the first thing I said to Anna when she picked up the phone, I said, Hi, Anna, is everything okay? <laughs> but I do remember, David, you also called the pastor there yes. and had him go over and be there just in case. So yeah. you did do the right thing. <laughs> and that was a wonderful blessing. <laughs> oh, my. What a day that was. But in any case, that gives you some idea of how critical it is to uh, adjust the vocabulary, the manner of speech, and so on to the circumstances of the person that you're speaking to. Uh, thirdly, um, it requires uh, a consideration of context. Now, the first was the circumstances of the person. or and uh, Now we're talking about generally uh, the, um, uh, the context overall. Um, so, for example, um, you know how uh, those who love each other romantically, sometimes they have this kind of funny sort of names for each other and mushy sort of speech, and they speak at home, and it's perfectly all right that way. But if they were to speak that way at, line, at the line in the grocery store, well, you know, it would probably make the people around a little queasy. <laughs> it would certainly make me queasy. Um, and the, um, so the, the Proverbs get at this. They, they want us to have common sense about the broader context of our words. One of my favorite Proverbs is twenty-seven fourteen. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. <laughs> uh, that, that's what we're trying to get at here with respect to uh, context. I, I had a real-life uh, incidence of this when I was at uh, Wake Forest. There were a group of us that hung out together regularly, and um, the uh, this was in the early squishy 70s touchy-feely and so on and one of the books that everyone uh, authors that many many people were reading uh, was Cahil uh, Gibran uh, um, and um, the a Persian writer if I remember correctly anyway he he wrote things like I awake at dawn with a winged heart in anticipation of another day of loving. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure I ever awoke with a winged heart, let alone an anticipation of anything. But we, we, one of the guys that was in the kind of group that hung out, he used to regularly come around to our doors in the uh, dorm and bang a couple times and then recite that quote to us. I awake at dawn with a winged heart. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that for most of us who woke up to that, we were anticipating uh, the opportunity to strangle him. Um, but um, 
that's another element of apt words. So we have uh, words um, that are uh, purposeful and adapted to the purpose we want to achieve. We have words that are adapted to the person that we're speaking to and their capacities. And then words that are adapted more broadly to the circumstance, what's suitable to the public circumstances and so on. And and, um, overall, you could think of it uh, a a bit like uh, a jigsaw puzzle. In order to do a jigsaw puzzle, you have to have in your mind's eye something of what the whole picture looks like. Then you need to have chosen a piece that you think is going to fit into and contribute to that picture being made. And you want to get the one that just fits. Um, And that's a useful thing because the... um, a useful illustration because the Proverbs do introduce an aesthetic element here when we talk about aptness. Uh, Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That's a beautiful proverb, but you see that the aesthetic element overtakes that. Um, The apple... uh, is the word, that's the matter. The setting of silver is the apt occasion that really sets off that word to be appreciated for what it is, as beautiful and and well adapted. Um, Bruce Waltke put it this way, what we're looking for here is a word that is in every way proper to the circumstances of its composition and delivery at the right time, and in the right way. And so it enhances its aesthetic impression and its moral influence. And, and I think that's a, a, a powerful point that Waltke has grasped for us out of the Proverbs, which is fully uh, instantiated in the pro- Proverbs, that there is both an aesthetic element and there is a moral element, and they go together powerfully when we've been attentive uh, properly to what wholesome words um, amount to. You can see the Proverbs don't have any trouble with trying to get us to see uh, the opposite of the aesthetic element in Proverbs eleven twenty two, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. <laughs> and uh, the... So, uh, the last point on this is um, that there is a kind of, uh, it may sound like this is a lot of work in speaking, but there is a real pleasure in such speech, both for the one speaking and for the one who is hearing. Um, The Proverbs 15.23 To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. So it's it's worth the effort to both the speaker and the receiver, and there's great blessing to be had there. Uh, Well, we'll stop there for tonight. I was way overly ambitious, but uh, that's all right. I'll... um, We'll we'll come back to this next time and uh, maybe we'll try and do two halves of one of the subjects or something. But if you have a moment more, let me see if you have questions or comments about anything uh, up until uh, up until this point. Anyone a question or comment or a thought? Well, um, thank you all for uh, being here and attending to this and I hope it, you'll spend some time thinking about it in the week ahead and when we come back together on this you'll, if you have other questions you can raise them at that time um, let me pray for us Father we are grateful for the wisdom of your word we are grateful for the wonder that we are created in your image and especially that 
that image reflected in the capacity to know and to communicate what we know and to have others be receivers of that knowledge and then to communicate to us in return. And the wonderful symmetry and beauty and profit in such a, a rich and wondrous way we've been made. And yet we know all of this is marred by sin, and so we thank you for the sages of Israel and your spirit at work um, to uh, give us such precious guidance in uh, this calling. And we pray that we would be good students of these things. And we thank you that we are in the wonderful position in Christ of having the Spirit poured out in our hearts and minds to enable us uh, to love these things, to embrace them, and to aspire to live by them. And though we will fail in a host of ways, it does not undermine our aspirations, but uh, simply leads us to be repentant and find afresh uh, a new uh, endeavor uh, to live in faithfulness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.